Okay, morning. Good morning. Apparently, the UN General Assembly votes for Gaza truce as Israel says ground operations expanding. Well, done and dusted. There you go. I'm sure Gutierrez gets the last word. Let's, uh, you and I, take a vote right now. All in favor of a truce in the Gaza Strip? Aye. I'm not. The ayes have it. <laughs> Michael and I unanimously vote for a truce in I Gaza. Didn't, I didn't vote so, for it because I'll, I'll uh, quibble over the language exactly what we're... Uh, any day now. <laughs> we'll send out a press release and then it's going to stop and that's it. That's all you got to do is just vote unanimously for a truce somewhere in Belgium. That's all you got to do. Well, you have to. Solves everything. <laughs> Solves everything. Well, you have to have resolutions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change the world without resolutions. Nope. Um, anyway. Um, now, here's something interesting that I'm doing. I can't remember the name of the founder of Wikipedia. So instead of going to Wikipedia, Jimmy I Wales, find myself going to Google. Isn't it Jimmy Wales? Well, yes, but um, but do you see my point? So, it, because my name for Wikipedia is according to Jim. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's my uh, nod to uh, a lesser known Belushi series singer songer singer. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Wales. Ooh, yep. they're still in their 50s. Every time I yeah. see somebody in their 50s that does something like that, I feel like such a loser. Uh, well, we're old. There's lots of people younger than us. Mm-hmm. What are you um, going to do? But it's Larry Sanger, the one that's been on. Uh, yeah. That, that's a that's an attractive fella. All Not right. That it matters, Be nice. But, um... I'm yes. sure his family loves him. He hasn't seen a lot of he hasn't seen much of the sun in his uh fifty four years. What do you think? Is uh Wikipedia in general um good for the world? Yeah, I think so. But my yeah. point is he's been on the podcast tour lately, so yeah. I'm trying to figure out why discussing the policies that they have in Wikipedia about which um you know, community-based mm -hmm. additions or corrections they allow and which ones sure. they don't and what their guideline, their internal guidelines are. Yes. It's very academic. It's very much like a librarian's approach. So he says. I was academic without the, <laughs> without the academy. Now, Michael and I were discussing this this morning and Michael, and I was also surprised that he was self-proclaimed um, a bit more on the libertarian uh, conservative end of the spectrum in, in terms of his uh, Ooh, I guess Sanger, political Sanger? views. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with libertarianism. Or anyway, I found out this morning that Michael has banned Wikipedia no, for life. I'm not, I, I don't ban Wikipedia. You I don't, hate Wikipedia I don't for life. Can, no, I don't hate Wikipedia. What did for you, life. something for life? They're on your dot, dot, dot no, for life list. I, I'm at war with any number of That's entities. right. Michael's at war. So we're going to add this to the list of things Michael's at war at. Number one, insurance companies. Number two, airlines. Number three, dentists. And now number four, Michael's declared war on Wikipedia. And why? 
Well, the war efforts continue because they haven't gotten any resolutions in the UN. But uh, no, the look, I I I use Wikipedia. I use Wikipedia along with uh, any number of uh, other uh, in, uh, World Wide Web sources. Um, that's all fine and good. But yes, my um, I soured a bit on uh, Wikipedia, and I can understand why people might do this. But um, I had uh, made some edits uh, to the uh, uh, Barack uh, Hussein Obama page um, back in the day, uh, and um, yeah, the the community didn't appreciate it. Apparently, it was true. What was uh, what was but, the amendment that you made? I was talking about how his moving uh, speech at the uh, what's often referred to as the uh, Ben Affleck uh, Democratic uh, National Convention, um, that is the the pre-presidential uh, Obama, uh, how his inspiring speech there then led um, Dr. Stephen T. Colbert, DFA, uh, on The Daily Show to um, discuss his uh, origin story and the uh, humble roots uh, of his um, grandfather, the turd miner, and his, excuse me, his uh, father, the turd miner, and his um, grandfather, the gold ball licker. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I, I suspect that uh, the uh, good community um, monitoring or suggesting editing content for uh, Wikipedia did not want uh, gold ball licker and turd miner on. Uh, Obama's Wikipedia page. Uh, I'm sure that you are one of many thousands of people that have tried to add that to his page. Well, I mean, it's not the only thing. I had contributed uh, uh, humbly to uh, Wikipedia in the past. Uh, I think uh, even the um, uh, the Falcor page, I think we might have uh, made some changes to that as well. Um, anyway. Which yeah. Falcor? The one that's napping on the pee pad or napping yes. on the sofa? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's actually on the Trogdor page because remember, uh, Falcor, well, you can't say Falcor comes from Homestar Runner, but Trogdor comes from Homestar Runner. But later on, when the fellow made the Falcor YouTube video, he's using it, uh, Trogdor's. Uh, theme, but of course he's chosen the name from Never Ending Story, so it's uh, inspired by a couple of different things. Anyway, yes, again we were comparing. Um, whereas you know Trogdor burninates, uh, Falcor um, urinates and napinates, etc. Anyway. Well, he peeinates, I think. No, he, he, he urinates. Uh, no, I think he's peeinating on the. No, he urinates on urinating on the carpet. No, he's chewinating. No, on the he napinates on the pee pad. Right. He chewinates the sofa. Right. Yeah. He's chewinating on the right. Door. Whereas Trogdor, ah, yeah, but does it anyway? Yes, but Trogdor <laughs> burninates the peasants. We got our very first listener comments and feedback. <laughs> yes. So here is one of our listeners who has given us the following comments and feedback. This listener says, overall, I enjoyed the discussion. You and Michael sound good and have interesting things to say. Well, that's clearly sarcasm. I question their judgment. Yes. 
he says, they say, sorry, I'm not identifying this person. I've never spoken much with Michael. He seems thoughtful, complimentary, and funny. Seems is the operative word there. Yep. Are his pronunciations of Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo the result of living so long Uh. in Europe or intentionally derogatory? My father used to call Michael Jordan Michael Johnson as a way to show his disdain for ball sports, even though he and everyone else in the world knew damn well who Michael Jordan was. That's great. I didn't know about you that. You have a kindred spirit out there. But then what do you call the Olympic runner? While you focus on legitimate near-term environmental questions, Michael's quote, we're all going to die, so why not enjoy ourselves philosophy is also seductive. I wouldn't quite gloss it that way but i think old epicurus had uh, something to say for sure i've just read michael shores and i almost almost pronounced that shores michael shore if you're out there listening Uh, your last name is the dutch word for a shed or a shack or a storage shack garden shed i've just read a garden shed yeah so I've just read Michael Gardenshed's How to Be Perfect, which is a summary of the research into ethics done for how the good for the, his show The Good Place. One takeaway is that while ethics is maybe the question, conflicting frameworks make analysis of a topic like uh, the sphere in U two damnably difficult. So this is a response to my our episode about U two and sphere in Las Vegas. Um. I'm recommending the show and the book, even though you seemed disinclined to entertainments. No, he's this person is speaking to me. <laughs> One of your, but you ad- do like sure though, right? Or some of what he says, at least. I don't think I know who Michael Sure is. Wait, what's the name of the uh, San Francisco fellow? Oh, who's... that's Michael Schellenberger. Oh, you've Schellenberger. missed several syllables there. Okay, yeah. Um. So this person is saying to me now, one of your principal arguments seems to be, quote, how can we spend money on frivolity when there are still needs? Why have a space program when people are still hungry? You say there is room for everything. I'd like to hear more on this. Well, no problem. I'll get to that later. And yes, I'll argue this is still the feedback. Vegas in concept and execution is in many ways awful. I was there last week and did see U2. It was gloriously overstimulating no as awesome. advertised. Yeah. U2 didn't build this. There's just the first and best choice band to perform there. They're playing something like 25 shows over a few months. Then it will be used for other acts for decades to come. Uh, James Dolan built this. He seems to be a genuine tool. Look how <laughs> he uses facial recognition tech to eject from his other properties, Madison Square Garden, Radio C- uh-huh. City, uh, Beacon Theater, anyone who works for any of the many firms with whom he's legally beefing. Uh, then this listener asks, do we, quote unquote, need this from you two? Our needs are irrelevant mm. here. Their rights uh, as artists prevail. We don't have to listen to them, but by any standard, what they're doing is astonishing. To stick together for 47 years is a tremendous accomplishment by itself, but to still be relevant at this point, off the charts. They are very much in the public dialogue, pushing the cutting edge of how music is performed and inspiring spirited podcasts around the world. Ah, thank you for that little (laughs) nod. Um, contrasting their show with, this is how this person writes it, Taylor Swift's era tour has been in the back of my mind. Do you do an episode on her? No problem. 
<laughs> is it even you two without Larry? Without Larry, that see ship of theses. Very. This person argues question. yes. He says it is you two. Yeah. All right. So I get it's REM also without Bill Berry. Now it's funny that you should mention Bill Berry because I wrote back to this person. And because I said, we think about it more than REM does. I yeah. always welcome feedback uh, from you. Michael Michael's mis- Michael mispronounces people's last names to amuse himself. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I think that's why you do it. The conversations really are the exact conversations we would have unrecorded. So there is going to be a lot in there that we get wrong, especially me. Um, Michael worships at the throne of accuracy, precision, and being correct. So the thing about you two owning the sphere uh, they took journalists on tour of it, so I did assume they had some ownership of it, but now I have learned otherwise it is fodder for future episodes. So, yes, I did think that you two had some sort of like investment stake in this because um, Bono and The Edge were taking all these journalists around, showing them how absolutely amazing this is. Right. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, since the person who actually built it, nobody knows who he is except for, well, you and our listener here. I was going to say, probably, I, I don't know who he oh, is. Oh, I'm sorry, but our listener uh, then, yes. Sorry I was, for I the inaccuracy s- there. I suspect he's a very well-known um well, I think you know, this also this also I know now because I had to read up on it. You uh, two set designer also helped design this LED monstrosity. Okay, and so so I think uh, broadly your point is that um, if not for a U2 type act to get on board, then there's really no point in building a, a sphere type thing, right? So very likely they were involved in the early discussions. I would imagine, um, do you remember those, what are they called, shopping malls? When people uh, used to make shopping malls, like the, you have to talk to uh, Sears or Pennies or whatever to, to see that if, if they're going to be in your mall, right? The I mean, you, you, you've got to have your anchor tenants, yeah. right? So I would imagine that if U2 is the, the debut uh, act, that, that they're going to be uh, involved in discussions early on and possibly, you know, get some sort of a commitment to. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, that seems. Now, remember how you just you referenced R.E.M. and Bill Berry a few minutes ago. Yes. So my final response to this feedback is, and Michael's attitude toward most popular musicians is acerbic to a fault. R.E.M. swore they would stop recording after Bill Berry left, and he still considers the lie, or maybe they just changed their minds, a bitter, desperate, and pathetic portrayal that he takes personally, and he isn't even that big of an R.E.M. fan. And yet... Talk about relevance. In his eyes, George Lucas is a flawless deity and not even in spite of Jar Jar. He will defend George Lucas to his last dying breath. So I spoke about you in the third person. Feel free to respond, yeah. correct, modify, defend yourself. So, so the I am thing, as far as I know, I, I don't believe they ever swore they Rectified. wouldn't yeah. uh, continue once uh, Bill was you know, not doing well. Um, I'm referring to interviews around the time of out of time, I think, um, where, you know, they were very much of the REM is these four people, uh, and the plans then, of course, they're talking kind of jokingly about it. It's like, all right, well, you know, we stay together and then we break up, uh, on the millennium, uh, was, was the, the tenor of some of those comments, but very much it was pushing the, um, REM consists of these four people, um, and that's the end of it. Now, um, I really like Bill Rieflin, but I don't 
know that it is REM with Bill Reef, at least in my view. Now, obviously, you know, the the, the others, uh, Stipe and Co., um, are free to perform. I do, you know, admire their efforts at uh, trying to create art, but I just don't think it should be um, under the, uh, you know, REM name. Uh, I mean, these become difficult questions uh depending on you know what what the the history or the methods of the artists are you know rem also i believe always credited uh at least back in uh, the early days early to mid days um uh all songs barry buckmill stipe now that's a very you know deliberate um and it would it's difficult to depending on your songwriting and creative process i think it's difficult to say you know how much uh this person contributes versus this other person in, in some cases at least but you know i don't think anyone would say that led zeppelin is anything other than those four fellows as well but they for example do not credit all songs you know it's mostly page plant so you know that kind of we're all on the same team uh rem attitude they obviously had and and you know i suppose that that's to their credit i I can't criticize that but um but i think that continuing without him is but uh, you know as i say these things are it it, you know you mentioned the rolling stones um a couple weeks ago i'm pretty sure now that is in terms of time in daryl jones has been with the rolling stones he's arguably not a rolling stone um but he's been with them longer than bill wyman um and yeah he's certainly been there longer than brian jones or mick taylor so i i don't know you know what we what is are the rolling stones nowadays is it really just at some point does ron become as much of a stone as mick and keith maybe i don't know Anyway. Okay. So I will I will say yes. that the person who wrote in this feedback is somebody that I've known since I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about you two among our friends. Um, this person is a big U2 fan. Is that fair to say? I don't think this person say? is a big U2 fan. They're, they, they're, they're a, a, yeah, they're a big... Big YouTube fan, but this person's best friend is, I would say, even a bigger YouTube fan, like a YouTube devotee. Mm-hmm. Devotee. So we would be having this conversation if he was sitting across from me next yeah. to you on the couch. Oh, I just gave away this person's gender. Sorry. They, no, it didn't. It doesn't not, matter. No one's listening to this anyway, so they can't guess who it is. Well, it's not for you to say, actually, unless you're on a Zoom call with that person. You don't really Michael, know. No, 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 no. I just said that you don't not, know their pronouns. Unless... I do know his pronouns. You. <sighs> All right, we're just stop it. Anyway. Um, so let's address some of the issues here. He says, our needs are irrelevant here. Their rights as an artist prevail. We don't have to listen to them, but by any standard, what they're doing is astonishing. Okay, friend, I would disagree with that because what because by my standards, what they're doing is definitely not astonishing. Just bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. It's a light show, and it's this 3D trippy light show. It is a light show. Um, 
I don't know. It's just people are people are extremely adaptive. People are going to get used to this in the same way that like stoners in the 70s would go watch you know, uh, some laser show listening to the wall and be like, oh, this is the most amazing thing ever. You know, we're always upping the game and then we get used to it and then the game has to be upped even more. So I just think that this is an inevitability along a continuum of... Yes. Yeah, okay. but... <sighs> Go ahead. Well, I don't see any problem necessarily with uh, bigger shows. I mean... All right, so there's the um, iconic uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday at Red Rocks uh, video, right? Yeah. Um, which basically consists of Ibano holding a flag. I mean, in terms of I think that that was actually impact. at... Um, I thought that him picking up the flag was at, uh, oh God, middle-aged brain. <laughs> uh, I, I might the get... Bob Geldof thing. Oh, oh, he might have done it there. But, but what? <laughs> the Bob Geldof thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why can't I think of it right now? Boom town? Yeah, All I can it's... think of is War Child, which is uh, a charitable foundation in the Netherlands. Yeah, no, it's it's I mean, Live Aid. Live Aid, Some you. folks God. call it. But I mean, that's not the only Geldof thing. Christmas since but anyway, anyway um, yeah I mean th- that was certainly you know that was a moving kind of visual thing a- at the time right but are you saying that um, our senses have changed like can you make that sort of uh, dramatic impact anymore without a big light show I think you can. I, I would give well, people yeah, some credit. Saying, not my standard. I mean, yeah. the young woman who who gave the inaugural the inaugural poem that we talked about earlier podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's to me more moving than going inside some, you know, uh, sliced off sphere. Sphere. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good thing. Is it actually a sphere? I don't. I don't know if it is or not. It might just be like cutting a grapefruit in half and setting it down. It might be a semi-sphere. Hemisphere. Hemisphere. Uh, I have to I have to look up this building. And this, um, okay. was, is he an architect or a developer? He I must be know. like a real estate developer. Okay, it's but he, Madison Square Garden. Okay, okay, this is interesting. So anyway, then he says- but And this be, uh, score fellow too. Got to yes, check him he out. says, but to be relevant at this point, off the charts. Also disagree. <sighs> I don't think that an artist, in order to examine the relevance of an artist, one must examine their fan base and who is coming to their shows. Oh, boy. You know. Are you making qualitative judgments about? I don't see how an, a rock and roll artist artists who, whose fan base are middle-aged, upper-middle-class people who can afford to come see their shows is at all relevant. In fact, I would say that's the opposite of relevant. I would say that that's relic at this point. Is it middle-aged? Uh, uh, do, does you 2 have a, a new fan base, perhaps? And know. older. No, they don't have a new fan base. What 16-year-old would go see a U, would be desperate to go see a U2 show? Segway to Taylor Swift. Unfortunately, according to me and my standards, Taylor Swift is the most relevant artist in the world. Now, you're just doing straight numbers. That word sales. No, that word astonishing. It is about the show. 
the entertainment of which the music is, I would argue, um, I wouldn't say a small part of it, but probably only half. And then there's all of the rest of it around it. Um, It's supposed to be the spectacular show. I mean, you don't. Which is different than a performance, I guess. It's like, again, why, why is it now that all these shows are measured by how much economic benefit they bring to the community? Taylor Swift, what do you want to say? Beyonce. Um, I call it these BK. megalithic shows. You two. Look, I mean, it is supposed to be about something other than just, you know, listening uh, to the music. You, know, you don't want to read too much into this, but I think that the, you know, the typical way that people... I discuss this type of thing. You know, it's always, I'm going to see so-and-so, so-and-so. It's not, you know, I'm going to listen to, you know, the U2. It's always, you know, I'm going to see U2 or I'm going to the show or whatever. So, you know, it's, it, it is it's supposed to be a, a kind of a, you know, it's as much of a, a visual. And I think often the, especially if the person, you know, is particularly famous or, you know, if you have a very strong, um, tie to, to them or their, their music or whatever that's I think it's a very natural response to just sort of look at that person and say wow that's that's Bono right there like yeah. Bono is a hundred feet away from me so and and you, you have those feelings you know even without of course you are listening to what's happening as well but you know it is a, a kind of a a, a hero well, I can't say worship, but it's a—it's definitely about much more than the music. So I think anything that adds to the performance, and you know, whether it's multimedia or, I—I I don't have a problem with that. Artists, I think, do need to consider, you know, how infrequently most of their fan base is actually going to get to experiencing that them in a, a live performance situation. So I think artists should actually feel a great deal of pressure to really bring the a game show, you know, and whoever is in that venue and it's their favorite artist, then I think the artist has to try damn hard to make sure that that is one of the most significant events in that person's life. Well, especially if they're paying, you know, a thousand dollars for a that's ticket. That's the thing. So I'm saying you better put on a fucking light show. When I so you uh, had Madonna tickets uh, years ago, yeah. and uh, you couldn't go. So you know, I I went to see uh, Madonna with our friend and, Ariane. You know, it, it it's a big show. You know, and mm-hmm. I appreciate like I've never seen a. Uh, uh, an Estefan type, like I hadn't seen shows with costume changes and that that, that sort of thing uh, before. You keep saying show but instead of concert, which I think is right. I do. I I am. I well, people almost never say the you know I'm going to see so and so in concert anymore. That's like a kind of a '70s. Like that's the sort of thing that Frank Zappa would say, and and he's right. And in in Zappa's case, it really was like I'm going to, you know, in concert listen uh, to this. Uh, performer 
So, you know, literally in concert with that person, uh, as opposed to, you know, just miming or something. Um, and that's a good one. Like, uh, famously haven't the pet shop boys, uh, sort of, you know, mimed at some point. And I'm not just talking about backing tracks and then live performance on top of the backing tracks. Basically everyone does that. And reasonably enough, I'm talking about pure, you know, like theater almost, it's like that is those two fellows on stage, but they're sort of, you know, doing a dance or whatever. I wouldn't have a problem with that either. Um, but it's definitely not a live concert performance. Anyway, I think you're very harsh on these artists. Well, I, yeah, that's my job. That used to actually <laughs> be my job is to be harsh on artists. Well, but recording artists, like, and this is another thing, you know, that seems like kind of a contrived term. Uh, but I think there is something to be said for that. And, you know, I was just listening to some um, uh, live uh, police. Now, the police, of course, in a, you know, you would call them uh, recording artists. You know, they do have F5 albums and, you know, some uh, singles and B-sides and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think the, the police are more performers and musicians than they are recording artists. And, you know, I mean, it, certainly they didn't uh, spend that much time in the studio, and it's certainly not a, like, a you know, later stage Beatles or sort of thing where you don't even have to consider, it's like, all right, how do we play this out or whatever? You know, we are recording artists. We are, you know, putting this down um, for posterity, and that's the song. Um, and the police were never that. You know, their uh, music was always opened up you know, they probably stretch some of those ideas too far um, when, when they're performing and, you know, then kind of take it back a little bit. But so, you know, it's always, um, it, it's a constantly more inventive process um, th than a lot of artists. Now, of course, in a smaller group, you can do that sort of thing. If you have, you know, 20 piece orchestras and all that, there's just not as much room for improvisation or changes uh, in the set list, of course. Um, but you know, that's all, that's all part of it. I think there are naturally going to be some people who are more inclined to that. Um, we create, we recreate live, you know, what's on, on record. That was, uh, Russia's thing was very much, you know, we don't want to put things down that we can't, um, uh, recreate live. And for others, it's like, all right, well, the, you know, the songs are the songs and, um, this version that people get is going to be a little bit different. And I think sometimes, although I was praising the police for um, kind of reinterpreting their songs live, I can understand for some people why when they go to see the artist, it's like, wait, just I'm here to see the version that's on the record, you know, Robert Smith and company. Why do you have to play the 10 minute forest? I, I thought I liked this song. I don't even like this song anymore. This has gone on way too long. So there can be that sort of indulgence. Um, just play what's on the record. I don't know. But, you know, I think that's going to differ a lot for the artist and for their fan base. And I know that sounds kind of elitist, but um, I would suspect that when most uh, Taylor fans uh, go to see her, they expect to hear what's on the record. You know, they're not going to be in for a vastly reinterpreted version. 
Now, let's put some shape and color around that word relevance as it relates to music. I can think of two Taylor Swift songs. There's that Shake It Off song. I don't know the verse. I just... I just know the line, the lyric, the line, shake it off, and I can hear the melody in my head. Okay. And then there's some other song that she wrote about how, you know, cool she and her boyfriend are, and then she describes in the lyrics what they're wearing. She's wearing a short skirt, and I think he's wearing, like, a T-shirt and a, you know, James Dean jacket or something. So in the beginning... She was criticized for her lyrics being too um, autobiographical and her biography wasn't very interesting. It's basically just, you know, an underneath series of relationships and then her writing a song about the relationship after it ended. Now she's so huge. She's actually being praised for the exact same thing. Oh, she's so autobiographical. She's the best storyteller of her personal life of her generation. Now, I would say that not only is YouTube totally, and I love YouTube. Like we've talked about this before. This is the the band that I grew up on. Among, yeah. they're my anchor band of all of the bands that right. are important to me right. when music was relevant to my youth. I would say that not only is YouTube completely irrelevant, but that music in general, popular music in general. As a culture, not only as a cult, no, not as a cultural touchstone, but as a cultural movement, as a definition of culture, is totally irrelevant. Case in point, how music today is relevant in terms of a cultural touchstone is that, again, you have parents going to see concerts with their kids or people our age taking selfies of themselves in the round or the standing floor seats, the expensive seats at the Taylor Swift show, which I've seen from numerous people that are still sort of in the industry or either so connected or wealthy that they either got the tickets for free or it doesn't matter how much they paid for them. And I'm looking at these pictures going, are you kidding me? Do you have no shame? Do you understand that you as a 55 or 60 year old person you know, taking a picture of yourself in the expensive seats at the, you know, at, or tickets at a Taylor Swift show, if you would have given those tickets to some little 13-year-old girl, you would have, like, changed her life forever, especially, like, some maybe a girl is underprivileged or something. Right. Nope. It's all about you and showing the world that you got to be at the show. And uh, the humble bragging to, is nauseating to me. So I think that popular music in general, as as a, as a cultural movement is non-existent these days as a cultural touchstone i equate it to you know yearbooks from the 1950s where 17 year old girls had the same hairstyles and wore the same clothes as their mothers they look the same that's what i see happening now right when parents are going to concerts with their kids, oh, we took a selfie of, you know, taking our teenage boys to the Macklemore concert. There is something wrong with that. Um, Macklemore is a white hip hop artist from Seattle. It won't stick with me, so I don't know. Um, Wow. But would you concede that 
you know, our commentary oh, on pop on music. Oh, you all right? Oh, you take out your headphones? Um, where do I plug this back in? I think it's in the back, isn't it? It's an adapt. No, so that cable there, just uh, to the right of that one. No, no, no. Sorry, that you need to adapt that jack. It's an eighth inch to a quarter inch. Hold on, everybody. My headphones just unplugged. There we go. So one of the okay. uh, man, I wouldn't say symptoms, but manifestations of ADHD is that um, my people uh, and I have very low spatial awareness. So I'm always hooking my purse or my backpack onto um, doorknobs or unplugging things or constantly rolling the you know the wheels of my office chair over wires or flailing my arms and unplugging my uh, headphone jack as I did right now please yep. continue what I can see I have that too it's just called clumsy but uh, that that our um, knowledge of and therefore <laughs> potential to uh, reasonably comment on, uh, pop music, it, we're very underinformed. I, I have no idea. So, you know, I have heard of those uh, bigger artists, of course, but I don't really know any of their music. So, um, and also we're older people. So pop music is it really supposed to be for us. No, that's why I think, I think so. that people our age taking their teenagers to a concert is do you, that. That's my point. But I'm saying for those younger people for whom, you know, the they are the key. people should not be going to concerts with their parents. No, the, Go to the, a Broadway show with your parents. Go to the play with your parents. I'm, Do I'm, not see a rock and roll show or a hip hop show or an R&B show or a pop show yeah, with your mom and I'm, dad. I'm, <laughs> That's not what well, pop music is about. But I thought I heard you saying that, you know, the, the actual quality of the music nowadays has declined as well and i'm just saying that for those younger folks i think pop music is probably as relevant as it ever was yes but it no <laughs> okay <laughs> because if it was relevant as it ever was you don't go see rock and roll you don't go see concerts with your mom and dad right. you're supposed to you sneak know, out of the there, house there isn't anybody yeah, that's yeah. ever going to listen to this that hasn't seen right. almost famous that didn't see him like, you know, going out the back door, completely excited off his tits about what he's just experienced. And then his mom is like honking the horn on the, in the station wagon. And he's, you know, mom, don't embarrass me in front of my new cool friends. You know, he has to right. walk down the street so that they don't see him getting in the car with his mom. That's how it was. And that's how it always should be when it right. comes to popular music. Now, did you know that the... um the Larry Mullen Jr. substitute and the U2 tour right now is a duchy. His name is Brom Vandenberg. Okay. Uh, I, I did not know that. It's interesting to me also that they did not choose like an established, you know, like an older studio drummer or, you know, like a Simon Phillips is still alive, right? So, I mean, he, he would be a good choice for that kind of how do you replace... Um, someone who's very well established with the band. I think Phillips would, would have been a good choice. Um, 
but I don't know anything about these Dutch. He's Often, a forty-one-year-old drummer that 41, plays with okay. a Dutch rock outfit, Krezip. Bluff. No, oh. he doesn't play with Bluff. Krezip? I don't know Krezip. I don't either. I don't think so. Okay. The group fronted by Jacqueline uh, Hovert, which is a legacy name for one of the famous Dutch um, uh, masters, initially formed in 1997 in Tilburg, Netherlands, and Brom, who comes from small Dutch village of Varn. Varno, Varmel, Varmel. I can't tell. I need to get my glasses corrected. I can't tell if that's an R next to an N or if that's an M. Um, how on earth did this guy from some obscure Dutch band end up playing with U2? You know what I bet it is? I bet it's something like this. So U2 is actually, the, the corporation of U2 is actually yeah. registered in the Netherlands, as is the Rolling Stones and some other artists for the tax benefits. I bet this guy's like dad is U2's accountant or something. And it, it was like something that happened like that. Uh, it says, noting U2 is one of his favorite bands. We've known for a long time how good he is, they said. Okay, so he's a very, he's a he's a huge Larry fan, Edge says. He's not out to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> well, that's shocking for a Dutch person. He All wants right, to stay no. true to the spirit of the songs and the arrangement, uh, the arrangements, and really doing a great job. Well, do normal, do normal, Brom. Okay, so maybe they uh, do uh, big artists. Do they still have uh, opening bands? I don't so, know. Probably. Yeah. So maybe now, they're on some leg of uh, some tour. They are. Our good, our new friend Brom says it's big shoes to fill, like Larry's shoes. True. But Larry and the band have been so supportive. I mean. Larry is a what? great drummer. He's U2's drummer. His yeah. drumming is very distinctive, but he's, you know, he's no Stuart Copeland. Okay, I mean, but the shoes aren't that big. But that's an interesting, like, what, what is a, you know, shouldn't every element of the, you know, band, it, if it's supposed to be contributing uh, to the whole. Now, yes, I am very much of the opinion that, you know, you have to have sort of, uh, um, you know, genuine contribution from everyone. Uh, and I didn't used to think that much of uh, Clayton or uh, MJ, but um, I've certainly heard um, Daniel Lanois uh, speak very favorably about him. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm so speaking very favorably I think he does of him, what's but let's supposed not go to nuts. be done. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Now, this is very sweet, actually. So poor Adam. Um, Adam wasn't so thrilled about Larry being replaced. Yeah. And we all know why, uh, Mr. 16th Notes. Uh, no, come on. A- now. Again, does what the song needs. Adam Clayton admits that he has had a personal concerns about playing without his longtime bandmate, Mullen. Aw. It's like, you know... The old horse that needs his little donkey friend or something. Well, it was pretty scary in so many ways, Adam says, of their opening night performance without U2's, uh, U2's founder, Mullen. But we've done a lot of work with Brahm. We've been playing together for about six weeks now. We did some initial uh, rehearsals way back in March. Uh, I kind of knew he had my back. I mean, don't you think it should be the other way around? But Larry still needs his back to be had. Um He's got a great attitude. He'll adapt to whatever I need or whatever the band needs, uh, and he's fun to be around. Well, bless. I mean, again, this is, you know, every situation is a little bit different, but, um, you know, the rhythm section in rock bands, uh, 
that is a unique relationship. So I've heard uh, Billy Sheehan, for example, talk about when he has played with a drummer that he's not familiar with, or even worse, actually a bad drummer, it messes him up. Because, you know, the the role of the bass, again, just the, you know, the kind of stereotypical rock would be that, you know, the, the drummer is leading. It's the bass player's responsibility to lock in with the drummer. And if that drummer is not in the pocket or, you know, is not grooving the way that bass player is used to or is actually not keeping good time, it's a nightmare for the bass player. Because the bass player has to be with the kick even if the kick is wrong. I mean, that, that's, you know, rock 101. And especially if the, the kick and the bass are actually playing the same rhythm, which, you know, often they are in, in U2 songs, certainly. So I I appreciate where, where Adam's coming from. Or maybe if everything's on a click with U2, I don't know, then, then that, that would change it. But the idea of having to lock with the drummer who, you know, I think his entire career, basically. I mean, Adam hasn't played outside of U2 much at all, right? Um, so that is, he plays bass with Larry. That That, that is what defines uh, Adam's career. So that, yeah, that would be scary. And that's certainly an old dog, new trick yeah, situation. I know. I think yeah. that that's why U2 has been around for 47 years. It's because everybody is very comfortable yeah. in their role. So everybody lets Bono be the front man because he needs to be the front man. Everybody worships the Edge because Edge is a phenomenal guitarist. He's a phenomenal sound smith, if I may, if I may pull out, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, again, an overused um, uh, music critic yep. word. Um, Larry started the band, so he just wanted to start a band. Very Larry comp- started interesting. Yeah, okay. very competent. Well, he's the one that put the flyer up that they, you know, tore the little tabs off the bottom of the paper. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, he started the band, so he just wants to be in a band. And yep. Larry is the posh one, or um, Adam is the Adam. posh one, yep. who is just actually very sweet soul, the one that got in trouble, the one that had to go into, right. you know, his 12-step program when he didn't show up for a show one time. Because is and, he actually as much British as he is Irish or something? Yeah, or did, yeah. And then he grew up in, I think, in Africa for a while, okay. and um, uh, and he's just there to to be loved and play his little sixteenth notes. So you know, they all have their role. They're all nice. comfortable in their role. I mean, yeah. Larry is. I mean, God, I keep doing that. Adam, you know, he's kind of Ringo. He's the Ringo <laughs> of you two. Yeah, Ringo gets a lot of stick. Um, but uh, bang. but uh, <laughs> Chad Smith, whom I'm not the hugest fan of, and certainly not his band, but uh, he speaks very favorably of Ringo. So uh, Ringo, I would say, in part driven uh, by the web, uh, has gotten um, a bit of a, a second listen these days. And understanding some of Ringo's playing in light of the fact that he's actually a lefty is uh, very interesting, too. Because anytime you lefties play with right-handed kits... You know, you get uh, interesting, uh, you know, results from that. The Chili Peppers are such a good, fun band. I've heard I people say that. I yeah. can only think that the reason you're not a fan is because you just don't like their sort of collective bro love personality uh, as people. 
That's certainly true. Uh, I would trust uh, much more. Um, well, I, I just mentioned them, but we've talked about both of them here. So something like uh, the police, where they actually don't even like each other, uh, but uh, get together to you know painfully create, versus something like REM or the Chili Peppers, where it's like we're friends almost first and foremost, and then we happen to have some instruments around. Yeah, I, I wouldn't tend to trust that. I think that's very sweet, um, and I like people to be happy and, you know, make whatever music they want. But the the likelihood of actually stumbling upon, um, you know, true art, if you're just friends that are playing together, that's much, much less likely, I think. Also, you're just not going to have a, a kind of a, you know, direct and brutal analysis of, of what you're doing. Um, it's going to be that much harder to, you know, fire somebody in the band if you've been best friends since middle school or something. But if that person isn't good for the, the band or for the project, then well, it's a band, Michael. It's they not a go. startup. It, well, he is a phenomenal it, bassist, and not only is he a phenomenal bassist, he is a again a devotee of his heroes, yeah, which yeah, are mostly yeah, jazzers. Yeah. I was gonna say he likes you Miles and Davis have a lot and jazz. In you no, just it, you just don't like the fact that he plays in his underwear. I don't have a problem with I like his uh, stuffed animal pants much more than his underwear. <laughs> no, I, I like the sock look. I like the stuffed animals. No, I just don't Fushanti like that. is a phenomenal guitarist. They shouldn't even be playing with him, uh, right? Because uh, Hillel is, is the actual he chili died. pepper. Everything else. Yes, and then you're supposed to quit. No, you're, you're not. You're not supposed to have... Uh, According to whom? According to you. You start the new project then. It's not It's not the same name. Well, it's not what, the oh, chili peppers anymore. Oh, so anymore. you say... So if, if they just change their name, like Joy division did to new order then you'd be fine with that they I just need a rebranding definitely appreciate oh. that that much more honestly there's no, no room they for don't any other options you, you, my... that's it there's just one way to do things correctly and everything else is laughable embarrassing discreditable i mean obviously nobody should listen to me but yeah that, that's my personal feelings about it i just don't know why you're you know capitalizing on the you know, whatever um, goodwill or the sort of trademark strength um, of the, the name of the band, <clears throat> if in fact uh, it's not really the, the same band. Now, this does, of course, have to do, I think, with uh, how the, again, the, the creative process and the overall size uh, of the project. You know, we were just um, listening to some Elvis. You know, if one person uh, doesn't show up in the sort of Vegas era Elvis's um, outfit. All right, well, that that's not that big a deal. Um, but if Elvis isn't there, it, it's over with, right? You just don't have a show that night. And so it, it kind of becomes the same thing. I mean, Flea can't take a night off. Uh, but yeah, I think with smaller groups in general, if you replace anyone, then it's, is it really the same thing? To me, the measure of true art is when you lay yourself bare. You give everything you have inside maximum vulnerability to your audience. And I don't think that you two 
or Taylor Swift do that at all. It's a extremely well rehearsed, orchestrated, calculated, choreographed, whether it's a choreograph with dancers on stage mm-hmm. or choreograph with a light show, show. And when we were looking at those old videos of Elvis in Vegas or Elvis in Hawaii, mm-hmm. he is out there. He's He looks uncomfortable. He's sweating. He's bloated. He is... Um, his eyes are closed the whole time. He's giving everything he's got, whatever he's got left in the tank, it's out there for the audience. This is why I have said for a number of years now, also on the podcast, and I'll say it again, I think that music musicians as a cultural touchstone in this generation have been replaced by comedians. Comedians okay. put everything out there for their audience, the good ones, the best ones. Um, we you mean just in terms of Comedians, the things they're saying are potentially performances have replaced in terms of cultural re- relevance replaced lyrics from rock and roll bands. Yeah, but that sounds like comedian as social critic. Yeah, comedians usually, are social critics. Oh boy, but they're probably not going to be funny then. I well, mean, anytime. I, yeah, they're like, the best ones are hilarious. Mm, Chappelle, Chappelle's my favorite comedian. Well, Amy Schumer and Chappelle. Amy Schumer, Chappelle, and Louis C.K. are my favorite comedians. I just think, you know, call me crazy. I think that uh, uh, comedians should make us laugh. And I think that there are plenty of comedians. Well, sometimes. But uh, I think there are lots of comedians nowadays who would like to think of themselves more like, I don't know, uh, Twain or uh, Swift John, that is not mm-hmm. Taylor, um, or you know Thurber or something. It's like, you know, we're satirists or you know political or social commentators. I don't know. Just just make me laugh. I, I think that. Well, that there's room it's... for those too. I'm not saying that all comedians, uh, that you know that all comedians have to have the basis of material is social or political commentary. But I'm saying the ones that do it the best are the most important yep. voices, cultural voices of today. See, of I, don't, today. I don't think comedians are supposed to be important. I think comedians are just supposed to make us laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the generally the more uh, political or if it's, I mean, satire is often so lazy and. But why are we? Why are you focused on satire? Well, Com- or, or, comedy or, isn't just satire. Well, e- even the political stuff, I think, is so often. Look, I have a, a well, an audience. Well, Louis C.K. isn't primed. a satirist. Chappelle isn't a satirist. He's a comedian. I I know. I would wish that they would just stay comedians. Anytime they comedians are. are talking about you know ripped from the headlines issues. I think, like, why are you telling Chris me Chris Rock, this? also. His last special was so brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I like Chris Rock. You know I, why? I because it was musical. Because it was so tight. And it was yeah. so... He, he gave us that grand finale at the end. I think they call that a callback in comedy. <laughs> and like, yeah. oh, that was so satisfying. The way that, you know, what a rock and roll song ends... It was it was satisfying, cathartic, even mildly or you know intellectually orgasmic. 
you know, it was ah oh, perfect artistry, perfection. I don't know if I saw the whole thing. I thought mm-hmm. I did, but I forget uh, how it ended. So this is the one. It, it he kind of does this call back to the the slap. Um, okay. Because yeah. he insinuates that there's a long history between him and um, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett. Okay. That all that the three of them know about, but maybe the whole world didn't understand didn't have any didn't have didn't know about and that right. there, there was some extra motivation maybe it wasn't so entirely impulsive in the moment that that will smith's motivation for um slapping him was because he had his estranged wife's or his separated wife's um name in chris which was Rock's not mouth. known at the time it wasn't right mm-hmm. okay so there's a whole thing going on there okay anyway Anyway. Comedians. Comedians. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think oftentimes the political stuff is just you have the audience that's sort of primed. You, you possibly built your audience just by saying, you know, kind of obvious uh, political points. Oh, right, but it's not and, just and politics, then they, they, Amy, they sort of Amy Shoot Michael clap for you. Not listening to what I'm saying, yeah, like Amy so Schumer right. doesn't make political jokes. You know, and I don't think Amy Schumer makes that many jokes. I think her Amy Schumer's uh, hilarious. I think her series uh, is better than the stand-up. Her that last I've seen her comedy do. special wasn't as good as her previous comedy specials. I'll give you that. Look, I mean, but. There Don't, are different ways of being funny. I mean, there are plenty of people that I see like... movies are really funny, except for that one with Goldie Hawn. <laughs> um, um, okay, right. So, so the, you know, this is another thing that's difficult, I think, or complicated about our idea of comedians nowadays. It's stand-up is a relatively new phenomenon. Being a comedi- comedic uh, actor or actress if there are actresses anymore, um, is a separate thing. Um, but often in the modern era, we, you know, since stand-up has existed, we've often sort of blurred those lines and just said, oh, hey, you know, that that person's funny with stand-up. Um, let's give them a sitcom or something. Or let's put, put them in a movie. I don't. Yeah, but really pure comedians criticize that type of comedian where they're like, their yeah. only goal is to get a sitcom. They should. Pure I comedians think. diss those comedians. I, they, they're never the best comedians. Okay, but you're praising Schumer. She's as much of a filmmaker, or, you know, a film actress as she is. Uh, oh, so I disagree. I'm just saying sketch comedy, stand up comedy, and being uh, a comedic actor are entirely different ideas, I think. Sure, she's very um, multi talented. I'm not sure if anyone can uh, do all of them. Amy can. <laughs> you can't. Um, sure. All right. Well, I've I've only seen. Uh, I saw Kevin some Hart of can. that one. <laughs> Kevin Hart. He's funny. I should know more about uh, Hart. I've uh, seen. I've seen him do. I saw him in Graham Norton. He was sort of funny there. Uh, but no, I've never seen, I saw a little bit of one of his stand-up specials. I didn't particularly find it funny, but I don't know his material that well. Mm-hmm. Or um. I mean, Chappelle does sketch comedy brilliantly. Stand-up comic, brilliant. I think his sketch comedy is much funnier than his stand-up. His stand-up is okay, um, but I I don't particularly value. But what I love about Chappelle is that he he is the only comedian I can think of 
that can make an an audience go crickets silent and it's actually a good thing he's not bombing it's the apps it's the opposite of that because he's so captivating even when people disagree with what he says people were disagreeing with his comments about trans people i found that to be very knee-jerk i'm like how can any rational person listen to what he's saying and not understand the essence of what he's saying it's very clear it's very logical it's not inflammatory it's not accusatory it's not anti-trans i didn't find at all so i think people need to check themselves there (laughs) and if it was i would have come to that conclusion um it was there was no like Andrew Dice Clay sexism trans gay phobic hint of what in the point that he was making at all. And that's all it was. He was making a point. He was very thoughtfully, very gingerly saying putting his hand out and saying, Hold on a guy hold on a minute, guys, think about it this way. That's all he was doing in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're talking about this, so I've seen uh, some of, I think, what you're talking about. I just haven't seen all of his stand-up and probably some, not all of his uh, comments on the, this sort of thing. But um, he's talking specifically about a trans person that he came that to he was know. Friends with, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, sort of the mic drop uh, moment where that person is, is not among the living anymore, right? Um, but, yeah, it's... I guess ultimately my concern uh, is that when I'm listening to Dave Chappelle, it's not because I want to rethink, you know, my position on whatever social or political issues or something. Um, I just want to laugh. That's, that's all. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I'll of course you know, hopefully I'm always in transceive or, well, yeah, receive mode, I, I suppose. Um, so whatever new information or thoughts are, are coming at me, hopefully I'm, you know, incorporating that into my um, worldview anyway. So I'm not going to be, you know, attempting to I'm not going to be actively ignoring uh, anything that I hear from somebody if it uh, challenges uh, my beliefs, but it's not what I, it's not what I'm looking for in, in a comedian. I don't uh, say, oh, well, you know what? Um, all right, you know, whatever. What's Chappelle going to tell me about Gaza or uh, Israel? You know, that 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 type of thing. Okay, I'm sure there are many comedians. You seem to be fixated comedians. on this, the the the, the, the political hook. I don't know how you got there. Well, the trans issues are political as much they're as anything. They're social. No, they're social. social more than they're political. Societies are governed by politicians. Okay. So the, the, the issues are one and the same. When I go see a techno show, I want to dance. We just worked yep. our last festival of the season during Amsterdam Dance Event, which is a professional industry event where hundreds of thousands of people descend upon the city of Amsterdam to go to workshops, lectures, all things related to the professional industry of electronic dance music. And then, of course, there's massive parties all over the place. And it's really fun because it's the only time that Amsterdam ever actually looks really cool because there's just so many cool-looking people that come into the city. (laughs) Um 
And every cafe, every corner, every venue is, you know, has got a DJ and a, and a, um, some turntables or whatever it is that they use now. Um, two turntables and a microphone, I believe. Two turntables and a microphone. So we were working SL in events. SL 1200. At the SM, yes. which is the old shipyards on the other side of the River I in Amsterdam Nord. And now it's a very cool post-industrial artsy area like all of these post-industrial areas become yeah and it was the digital event in collaboration with amsterdam dance event uh and we worked um the reusables for the food court and i'm very happy to say that many of those djs were amazing and it wasn't just that hardcore I, I'm out of touch with the different subgenres in dance DJ, no. but just that joyless jackhammer bass and <laughs> hi-hat and pretty much nothing else that the kids today love. I'm happy to say that that was relegated to one corner of the party. Right. There were definitely a lot of people there that were there to see that for, you know, a long time. But the other DJs were joy, joyful, and this is something that I have been criticizing dance DJ music for a really long time, that uh, sort of in like the post-Hacienda era, the joy in dance DJ music has been stripped away. And I'm very happy to report that there was a lot of joy that was poured back into the music that I was hearing. I was grooving on it. And I'm looking around at the thousands of kids, all so beautiful, by the way, youth, right? These kids... And I'm like, how can you not be dancing to this? How yeah. it, it was like a force of will for me to resist not running into the middle of that dance floor and dancing to that music. So I had a job to do. And they're all just kind of like waving their little hands in the air or they're talking or they're drinking their beer as if it was like background music. And then once once they'd had enough beers, I guess, or gotten drunk enough, then they're dancing. But I'm oh. like, why are you even here? Why are you even here? Are they dance. here to show off how beautiful they are? Are they here to hook up? Are they here just to spend some time with their friends? Like, I really didn't understand it. I was there, you know, to work. But if I wouldn't have been, I would have been there for the music because it was just so good. I don't I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, are the kids too cool to dance? I don't think so. They're Dutch kids. Kid, Dutch kids don't have anything to prove. You know, they're relaxed. Maybe they're too relaxed. I recall that... Um, when you first uh, moved to uh, Seattle oh, and yeah. saw live music. Devastated. There. I'm like, we're at the Underworld show. They're pay playing Born Slippy right now. How can you guys just be standing around? <laughs> I will make the argument to this day, and I've made this argument for a very long time. I still make this argument. The best city in the world to go and see a show of any kind is Chicago. Because Chicagoans, I think, have a little bit of this neediness in them where they really need the band to know that they love them the most. So they're just <laughs> really into the band. They're facing forward. Yeah. You know, they're very supportive of the band. I think that's why a lot of live, per, like, live videos are recorded in Chicago. Um, Interesting. Chicago's right. the place to be if you want to, you know just really get into the music and dance like nobody's watching. Um, yeah, it's yep. definitely not Seattle. So, <laughs> and uh, apparently it's definitely not Amsterdam either. But yeah. The heart of dance DJ culture internationally and no one's really paying attention. 
<sighs> well, I mean, Detroit and Chicago are, I mean, they're dance capitals, mm. really. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, because we've got to go. Yep. But, you know, I pulled out my Cookie Monster puppet. This is just these strange things that happen. And when I was making the rounds at the festival at the NASM, there were there was a guy and he had on like a little Cookie Monster knitted hat. It was like one of those hippie hats with the tassels on the side, but it was blue and it had it was um, it had Cookie Monster's little googly right. eyes at the top. And I I pulled up my phone and I said, oh, my God, I just got out my Cookie Monster puppet. He's, you know, 52 years old. He goes, hey, I just met this guy over here. He's like, dude, come back over here. And it was this guy with um, a Cookie Monster T-shirt. Yep. And it was it was a, a Cookie Monster version of the the Scream by Edvard Munch. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it was Cookie Monster. I'm like, what oh, okay. is going on with Cookie nice. Monster right now in, in my little universe? Because uh, they do get Sesame Street here. Uh, and the Dutchies. So they do they have Cookie Monster. They call it Seisamstraat. They, they, they do call it Seisamstraat. Okay, all right. So it's exactly the same. But Big and Bird. And so they do have Cookie Monster. I don't know if they have Cookie Monster, but Big Bird in the Netherlands is not yellow. No, and he's not named Big Bird either. He's blue. He's like, actually, he's Cookie Monster blue. He's a little bit lighter, isn't he? But yeah, but he's, he's definitely blue. I don't know. Why and do also, I know? why don't they call him Big Bird? It's another, yeah, Grote Vogel. Maybe it doesn't have the same... He's called like Pinto or something, right? I, th- I think his name is Pinto. Oh, I know. I we'll have to ask Yvonne why I don't his name is a children's Vol- programming. Okay. Yeah, or why not yellow? I, what's is there something why threatening about yellow? I don't know. I don't know why he's. You can't have Big Bird be blue. Maybe say some strat in the Verenigte Staten. That shade of yellow is trademarked or copyrighted or something, so they didn't want to pay for it, so they have to use a different color. Yeah, they might have had like a proto, like a Barney type thing. Maybe they had a, somebody in a big yellow suit. Because is Big in Bird supposed to be like something. a giant chicken, or is he just a big bird? I, I best not to think about it too much. <sighs> I know. Um, yeah, I I don't know what the. Never really watched Sesame Street. I just didn't uh, didn't didn't do anything for me. I watched the Electric Company now and again because they had uh, Spider Man mm-hmm. and uh, and Morgan. Well, Freeman. I think like most kids with. Sesame Street, we all hated the little educational videos, like, here's how to count to five, and we just wanted to watch the puppets. That's all it was, though. It was always, like, bad audio that mm-hmm. the, you know, it's like, uh, number two, or whatever. It's Yeah, it's weird. Boring. I thought it was pretty boring. I thought it was strange, yeah. I, I don't know. But, I again, I didn't, I don't know hey, the Sesame guys. Street... That's well, now that company. one, I was going to say. So, yeah, with the electric company. Yeah, you have like to watch that. On I like the electric company. I liked Zoom, too, but it didn't uh, seem to, the electric company didn't seem to air as frequently as Sesame Street. Mm-mm. I mean, I, sort of, I guess I liked some of the characters. I thought the account was okay, but, you mm-hmm. know. Anyway. All right. Okay. See you later. <laughs>